I want you guys to go with me as we travel to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 18. We are continuing in our series, getting back your mojo, um, getting your mojo back, and um, there's something that the Lord has placed within my heart that I hopefully will encourage you this morning. How many of you want to leave out of this place encouraged, strengthened in your faith, knowing who you are in God? Amen. Well, follow with me as we start in 2 Peter chapter 1. Actually, I'm beginning in verse 16. I said 18, uh, verse 16. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have uh, your uh, Bible on your app, um, if you have a paper Bible, that's fine as well. In fact, we would love if you had a paper Bible. Amen? Amen. Let's go on and get into the word. It says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me pause for a second. Keep in mind that this is Peter writing this book, and Peter, James, and John in the Gospels went on a mountain and saw Jesus transfigured before them, and he gave them a foretaste of his future glory. Some of you might remember Elijah and Moses came on the scene, and Peter was able to recognize them, and that's kind of where this story comes from. So they were eyewitnesses of the glory of God. And so we'll get into this here in just a second and explain it further. But it says, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Amen. That's why the Bible can be trusted. That's why it's, it's our ultimate source of authority. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Now, this is what I want to hone in on these next couple of verses. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now, I want you to take out your pens or your highlighter. Watch this in verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot. Underline the word righteous. That this Lot was righteous. Delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, 
For that righteous man, underline righteous there, that's two times he's mentioned as righteous, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul three times. Do you see this? From day to day, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds, then, somebody say then, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. I want to focus on Lot. The reason why I want to focus on him is because I want to come from the subject matter, live as you've been called. This man was regarded three times as being a righteous man, but as we will soon discover, his behavior was anything but. But how many of you know that righteousness is not dictated by how you behave, but is dictated by what you believe? And your belief and your position in him should motivate your behavior. Let me get into this. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, God. I feel your anointing in this place. God, I pray that you would minister to every single person in this room. I need you, Holy Spirit. I cannot do this without you. I pray that you administer healing to each person individually and that corporately we would walk out of here changed. We love your word. We love the assignment and the calling that you've placed on each of our lives. And I pray that we would have a desire in our hearts to know you, to know you, God, to hear your voice and have you speak to us in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Before I get into the crux of what I want to discuss with you this morning, I feel that it's needful to gain some context in the scripture that we just read in 2 Peter. As I explained earlier that this book was written by Peter, and as most of you know, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. Now with any pastor or shepherd, one of the difficulties that we always have is the many voices that are speaking to our flock. Sometimes ministry, ministering can happen from this stage and people can receive a word from God. They can receive instruction on how to live a godly life, instruction about various components of their life, but then a contradicting voice can come in and contradict everything that was said. In fact, Jesus spoke of this to his disciples and even Paul, as a faithful steward of the manifold grace of God, also spoke this to his followers. Beware of those who come in sheep's clothing, but are ravenous wolves wanting to spare the flock. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that in our culture and in our world today, that there are many voices seeking for your attention. And if you are not planted in the word of God on a daily basis, even the elect, Jesus says, will be led astray. It is very important as the time draws near of Jesus' coming back that we remain planted in God's word. Are you with me this morning? For the Bible tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and his word is a light unto our path. 
So his word is always going to illuminate where we are, and it's always going to provide instructions for where we need to go. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and of the marrow, and every creature is naked and exposed to him to whom we must give an account. Some of you in this room, I believe in my spirit, have been hearing voices speaking to you. And sometimes it can be hard to discern what is the voice of God, what is the voice of my flesh, what is the voice of the enemy. But when you read the word of God, it helps you decipher who it is that is speaking to you. Because the Holy Spirit and his word will never contradict what God is trying to say. In fact, when Jesus left this earth, he said, it is needful for me to leave because if I don't leave, I cannot send you the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own accord, but he will only speak that which I tell him to say. And so the Holy Spirit, the word of God, Jesus, they're all in unison. Are you with me? But this is one of the challenges that Peter was up against is even though he was a faithful minister of God, not to say that he was perfect, because how many of you know no minister is perfect? And this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times, but it's also the same Peter after being restored and baptized in the Holy Spirit, ministered the gospel and saw 3,000 people come to know the Lord in the book of Acts. This is a powerful man of God. But one of his difficulties was all of these false teachers were coming in trying to accuse him of not caring for the people of God because of his absence. And one of the things that he had to remind them of, what I'm declaring to you is not something that I heard. We were eyewitnesses of the Lord's glory. We were there on the holy mountain when he was transfigured before us, and we have the prophetic word confirmed. And so he's ministering to them, even though you have these false prophets, these false teachers, that are telling you contradictory words, you know who I am. You know that I love you. You know that I care for you. You know how I've labored among you. And this is reminiscent of Paul. Paul had the same dilemma when he would leave to journey to different lands. Ravenous wolves would come in and try to lead the people to believe that he didn't care about them. And he had to continually come back and say, look, You know that I care about you. You know what I'm speaking to you is the oracles of God. This is what Peter was up against. And he used some examples to encourage them that even though they were experiencing immense persecution, God had not forsaken them. Are you with me? See, that's something about persecution. When persecution begins to arise, sometimes you can start hearing more voices come into your life because everybody has an opinion on why you're sick. Everybody has an opinion on why you lost your job. Everybody has an opinion on why your husband walked out on you and you experienced that divorce or you you experienced that heartache and that pain. Everybody has an opinion, but is that opinion led by the Holy Spirit? That, that, man, people may have the right intentions, just like Job's friends had the right intentions, but they were speaking against what God had told them to say. And you got to be careful who it is that you allow in your sphere of influence when you're going through something in your life because you could remain in that trial listening to the advice of those who aren't hearing from God rather than going to the words yourself and receiving information from the Holy Spirit. 
I'm speaking to somebody this morning. But I want to look at the life of Lot, and I want to, it brings me to my first point. What happens when your behavior doesn't resemble your calling? Let me say that again. I know I'm in the right place. What happens when your behavior doesn't resemble your calling? Am I the only one that's faced this before in your life? When we're looking at Lot, it's interesting that as Peter is discussing with his followers the power of God to deliver them out of temptation, that he brings up Noah and then he brings up Lot. Now, some of us could understand why he brought up Noah and when we look at the track record of Noah. But what you may not know is the track record of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Abraham was his uncle. But let's go back and look at this man, Lot. If you look at chapter 13 of Genesis, I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. The Bible says that Lot and Abraham, that their flocks were becoming many and they were very rich in livestock. And there came a time where Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen were in conflict with one another. And there was a separation that Abraham initiated and said, all right, It's evident that our herdsmen are in conflict with one another and because of the rich livestock that we have and how we've grown over the years that we cannot remain together. How many of you know sometimes separation is better? And so Abraham spoke to Lot and said, if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. But you choose which direction you want to go. And the Bible says that Lot looked upon the plains of Jordan and saw how the grass was green and how plush the land looked. And he decided to go to Jordan, but he didn't realize that in that land was Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of us in this room have made decisions thinking that the grass was greener on the other side only to find out that we made a terrible mistake? But even though you made a mistake, and this is what I want to encourage you with, one of, the, one of the things that we say so much in this church is that with Jesus, you are what? That scripture comes from Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Even that includes course corrections. All things work together, not just the good, but even the bad. Not to say that God was the author of the mistakes that you made because that was you making that decision, but that's not to say that God cannot take a bad decision and turn it around when you repent. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, he who covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. How many of you are thankful this morning for the mercy and the grace of God that you don't deserve? He's so faithful and he's so patient. He's so long-suffering. One of the reasons why I love Jesus so much is because before he chose me, because he's all-knowing, he saw all of my frailties and my mistakes before him. Past, present, and future. But even in noticing my mistakes, Faith Church, he still yet and still chose you because he loved you and he decided to lavish his love on you. So don't think that the Lord is surprised by your behavior. 
Don't think that he's surprised because of your tendencies. Don't walk away from the church when you've fallen from grace or you've made a mistakes, but rather run to the church because he is merciful and graceful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteous even after you've given your life to Jesus. That's who he is. But they went two different places. And next is where the bombshell really drops. In Genesis chapter 19, I feel it needful to write or to read this. And so I'm going to turn there really quick. Is this helping somebody? In Genesis chapter 19, listen to what this says. And before I read this, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context for this scripture because we're coming right in the middle. The wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah had came up to the Lord. And the Lord was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the gross immorality, sexual immorality that was taking place in this land. And before he was about to destroy the land, he spoke and said, shall I hide this from my servant Abraham? Most of you may know that Abraham was righteous in the Lord's sight, not because of his behavior once again, but because he believed the promise of God and it was accounted unto him to righteousness. Hmm, sounds familiar. How do we get saved? By faith in Jesus. Come on. So Abraham received this word from God and God told him what he was about to do. And some of you might remember the story. He and God had this discourse back and forth. And the first time Abraham spoke and said, Lord, if there's 50, will you destroy the city? If there's 50 people, will you destroy the city? If there's 45, and he kept taking down the number to where it got all the way down to 10. And God said that he would not destroy the city if there were 10 people that were righteous. But most of us know the story. There were not 10 people that were righteous, and he destroyed the city. You know, I wonder if Abraham would have went a little lower If he would have went to five or if he would have went to one, I wonder if God would have not destroyed the city. Is it possible that we have not because we ask not? Is it possible that if he had taken it a step further that God would not have destroyed the city, but he stopped at 10? And the Bible says that there was two men that came in to minister and to talk to Lot. And that's where we pick up the story. So listen to this. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. The reason why he was sitting in the gate, because he was prominent in the land. How many of you know that we're called to be in the world, but not of the world? God has not called us to like completely leave the world and be in an island all to ourselves. We're still called to be salt and light in this earth. Even though there's things going around us on the job, even though there are people exhibiting behaviors that may be contradictory towards the word of God, we're called to be that beacon of light and hope in the midst of what's going on. Are you with me? It says, when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, hear not, hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? 
bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters. Watch this. I have two daughters who have not known a man, virgins. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Do you hear what this is saying? The same individual that was spoken of in 2 Peter as being righteous three times is willing to give his daughters to be violated and to be treated in a manner that God only knows. He was willing to do this. May we keep reading. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge, speaking of Lot. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Are you guys with me? What's interesting to me about this passage, and before any of us cast judgment on Lot, how many of you have ever experienced pressure in your life? How many of you have ever been caught off guard? Everything was going well. Marriage was going well. Life was going well. Things were going well at my job. Things were going well with my kids. Things were going well with my health. And then all of a sudden, how many of you have had those all of a suddens in your life? It seems like all hell breaks loose. It seems like the enemy runs amok. It seems like all things just begin to upheaval. But may I encourage you with something. Even though it may have caught you off guard, it did not catch the Lord off guard. And God said that in this earth you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. That's a promise. Not only that, James, the writer of James says in chapter 1, let not a man or woman say when you were tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt any man or woman, but they are drawn away by their own lust and desires. But then he goes on to say at the end of that chapter, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. How many of you know that our God is a deliverer? Some of you wouldn't know that if he had never delivered you out of that situation. Some of you would have never known him as a healer if you didn't experience his healing. Some of you wouldn't have known that he was a forgiver if you hadn't experienced his forgiveness in your life when you thought that all hope was lost. I'm speaking to somebody this morning. But Lot, in this moment of pressure, he was willing to give away his daughters. In my prayer time, the Lord spoke to me that this word would be for a man in this place, a father in particular, who maybe at some point in your life, you weren't there for your daughter. You weren't there for your kids. And maybe you may think that all hope is lost and there is no hope of restoring that relationship. May I submit to you that all things are possible with God. And that he can bring restoration. It doesn't matter what the sin or what the uh, situation was. 
But the question is, have you asked the Lord forgiveness and have you, be, have you begun praying for restoration? I've worked with too many young people, too many young people for over 20 years. And I've seen the effects of fatherlessness and how it affects a child at a young age all the way up until they're a grown adult. Would you at least try for forgiveness? Try to bring about restoration. None of us as fathers are perfect, including myself. I had no clue what it meant to be a father because I had never had one in my life growing up, even though now I sought forgiveness with my father and it was through the forgiveness that I extended to him that our relationship was restored. Sometimes it's not the adult that brings forth the change, but sometimes it's the child. Sometimes it's the child that erects the generational blessing where there was a generational curse. You may be waiting on that forgiveness to come from them, but what if God is wanting you to extend the forgiveness and be Christ-like and see in their soul come to know Jesus? God could be using you in that moment. But he gave away his daughters in this moment, and it was a moment of pressure. And you would be asking yourself, how in the world Can this man be regarded as righteous? But did you know that the scriptures tell us in Proverbs 24, 16, that even though a righteous man may fall seven times, he rises back up again. What makes him righteous is not his behavior. Can I teach you something really quick? When we give our lives to Christ, our salvation is worked out in three processes, but it's one Act, one act of belief that initiates this process. When somebody first decides to place their faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you were justified. Somebody say justified. Just as if you had never sinned. I want to say this is salvation from the penalty of sin. You're justified. God declares you righteous. He places upon you the righteousness that was upon Christ. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It has nothing to do with your good works, the cup of cold water you did, the the money you gave to the poor, the outreach that you were on. It has to do with Christ's finished work on the cross. That's why you were declared righteous. It has nothing to do with you other than you placing your faith and trust in him for salvation. Ephesians says, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You must understand this. Or else you will live your life trying to behave your way into a relationship with God instead of allowing your relationship to dictate your behavior. Oh, man, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. This was a bombshell for me. This is what changed the trajectory of my life because I kept going to the commandments and I kept saying, God, I'm trying my hardest not to lust. I'm trying my hardest not to curse. I'm trying my hardest to be the best Christian that I could be. And I kept falling. It wasn't until I fell in love with my Savior. It wasn't until I realized his, his flesh upon that altar and the skin being ripped off of his body and having a picture of my Savior going through this for me where my life was changed. And then my behavior began to change. Are you with me? Justified just as if you had never sinned. Justification. The second process is called sanctification. Salvation from the power of sin. When you're sanctified, that means that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence on the inside. 
1 Corinthians 6 says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought with a price. Your body is not your own. Why are we having a huge problem with drugs and them being legalized in various states? Let me ask you something. Is your body your own? Have you consulted the Lord about anything that you do with your body? Because it's not yours, it's his. And I will not be brought under the power of anything. In that same context, in that same scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, he says all things are lawful, but not all things are permissible. It may be lawful here on this earth, but it's a violation in heaven. Just because something is right in the eyes of this world, we can't walk away saying, well, it must be right for me. Have you consulted God? Because God's word is the final authority. But you've taken up, Holy Spirit's taken resident on the inside of you. And can I, newsflash, this is for everyone. Sanctification will take, will transpire up until Jesus comes back. That's why the Bible says, judge nothing before it's time. Be careful how you criticize somebody and how they act. Because God could be working on them beneath the surface and it may not appear at the moment like their behavior exhibits somebody who is a Christian. But hey, what if God is doing something underneath? Now this isn't a license to sin because we're called to judge one another as the body of Christ and to keep each other accountable. But we got to be careful. A pronouncement of judgment that we place on somebody's life. That person has no hope. The devil's a lie. You don't know what God can do in their life as long as they're still breathing. God could change them. But sanctification is a process. Don't expect somebody to be saved today and have all the Christianese down in a week. All right. Kanye West, who recently gave his life to Christ. Oh, all the, all the judgment came out of nowhere. Man, man this, this is fake. This is a publicity stunt. How do you know what the Lord is doing in his heart? They said the same thing about Paul. How was it that this man who was on his way to go persecute Christians and consented to the death of Stephen, how can this man now be saved? Don't despise the grace of God and somebody's life. Because God can change them in an instant. And I don't know about you, I was one of those foolish things that God took to confound the wise. I shouldn't be standing here today because of my mistakes, because of my sins. But sanctification is a process. It's salvation from the power of sin. Then the last one, which is yet, which we're yet to receive, it'll be here later in the future, is glorification, salvation from the presence of sin. How many of you are looking forward to that day? When we will be raptured out of here, where we'll spend eternity with our Savior. By the way, there is no waiting place. There's no purgatory. Paul said to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. If I die to live as Christ and to die as gain. Why am I, why, why should I be afraid of flying? Why should I be afraid of dying? If I know that I'm in him, I will forever be with him. Whether it's in this life or whether it's in the life to come, I'm always with him. And he's always with me. Justification is by faith and not by works. The last point that I want to make, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come, is this. My calling and position in him is the foundation from which my life is built. Let me say that again. My calling and position in him is the foundation from which my life is built. I am righteous because of Jesus. Even though Lot did not exhibit behaviors that were worthy of a Christian, isn't it awesome that Peter yet said that he was righteous? Let me give you an example. Abraham was regarded as the father of the faith. 
In fact, when God would go into a new land and would introduce himself, he would say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this same Abraham was the one who went into Pharaoh when he went into Egypt, when he went into Pharaoh and said to his wife, I want you to say that you're my sister. And the reason why he asked for his wife to say that she was his sister because he was afraid that when they saw her beauty, that they would kill him to be with his wife. And so even though he made this mistake, which was not righteous, didn't trust or believe in God, and this wasn't the first time, but even though he didn't trust God in this instant, guess what happened? Pharaoh was about to have relations with his wife, Sarai, and the Bible says that a plague came in the land. And Pharaoh went to Abraham and said, man, why did you lie to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Man, this plague has come into my land. How many of you know that God protects those who were his? Even sometimes in their mistakes. Sometimes. When we look at various people, David, who was regarded as a man after God's own heart, this was the same man who had somebody murdered to be with their wife. How could this man be regarded as a man after God's own heart? And lastly, what about Jacob? Jacob, whose name is meant trickster, backstabber, from the moment that he was born, he lived in accordance with his name. But how many of you know that your name can be changed in God? Even though this is what you were labeled as, even though this was the family that you came from, that doesn't have to be the future of your life. You can break that generational curse. And Jacob... Even though his name had backstabber, trickster, and we saw this with him and Esau when he took his birthright. We also saw this when he was conniving and he was deceptive and going before his father when his father was about to pronounce a blessing on Esau because he was the firstborn. He disguised himself to receive the blessing. But watch this. There was one night where Jacob wrestled with God all night. And in through wrestling with God all night, his name was changed to Israel. But man, Pastor Rich, this is what's powerful. Even though his name was changed to Israel, sometimes God would still refer to him as Jacob. And sometimes he would use both names interchangeably. And I'm asking myself, why don't you just move on to his new name? Because I want people to recognize who he was and who it is that restored him. If he loses the name Jacob and he goes with the name Israel, people might just know him for who he is, but they they may not know him for who he was and what I brought him out of. And I'm thankful that God is not ashamed of us. This is who I was. This was the behavior that I exhibited. These were the consequences of my sin, but I'm changed. And I can't change the past. I can only change the future. But I know that God is not going to give up on me based on what I've done in my past. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap in this place. Stand with me here in this house. Stand with me as we close. My calling and my position in him is the foundation from which my life is built. Just as Lot was saved because of his uncle Abraham, we are saved because of Jesus. When you look at Abraham, God would have never allowed Lot's life to be spared if it wasn't for Abraham. God would have never allowed our lives to be spared. None of us are deserving of his grace, of his mercy. But the Bible says that while we were yet still sinners, Jesus died for us on the cross. So don't ever think that your salvation is a result of the good works that you have done or the good person that you are. None of us were good before the Lord. But thanks be to God that his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy saved us and redeemed us.